0: D, podcast za aktivne Welcome, everybody. Uh, it's the 17th of May 2023, but you're listening to this episode of Citizen D podcast on the 15th of June 2023. With us today is Philip Di Salvo, a researcher in the field of whistleblowing, investigative journalism, internet surveillance, and the relationship between journalism and hacking. Welcome, Philip um thanks a lot for for having me it's a
1: pleasure to to be with you today uh
0: glad to be uh in your in your company before we start with surveillance capitalism mass media whistleblowers and all of the other topics we'll address in this episode of citizen d podcast i'd like to hear your opening statement about the the role of of journalism in the information society in surveillance capitalism and how do you see it differing from, let's say, the the analog offline uh, societies we 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 used to live in in the past?
1: Well, I think uh, the role of the media and the role of journalism at large in this discussion. is uh, is about power. So the role of journalism in in all these debates and in this overall context of digitization, datafication, and the growing application of um, digital technologies in society uh, is still the one of trying to rebalance uh, power. And in this sense, I don't think it is particularly different than how it used to be before the internet or before anything digital. So in those regards, I think the role is still the one of uh, making those in power accountable and in shedding light on how power happens, on how power is uh, applied uh, in society and I think uh, the digitalization paradoxically has made uh, the role of power even more insidious and sometimes even more invisible. So in this sense, I believe that the role of journalism is uh, so much more important now than how it probably used to be before
0: when you when you talk about power i i remember going back let's say 10 20 years in in the early 2000s we used to hear these i'm going to say fairy tales about the democratic potential of of technologies right about the the participative nature of the internet of uh, i'll i'll go back and say web blogs but but other uh, publishing platforms uh, of days who has the power in in today's information society, and why do we constantly fail to deliver this notion of democratic technology that will enable everybody to to have the power or to be to be in power?
1: Well, if we look at uh, what uh, the internet uh, is today, uh, I'm afraid most of those things that we used to believe in the early 2000s and even before in the 90s uh, didn't materialize Uh, they didn't materialize because the technology is is somehow bad or because the technology is used in in bad ways Uh, they didn't materialize because of a specific um, economical political asset that has become um, mostly uh, hegemonic on how the internet functions uh today and i know we will discuss surveillance capitalism uh, be, uh after after this in 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 our conversation but what we have today is the precise outcome of of a series of things that have been uh i would say decided to be to be as such so the the internet didn't evolve naturally in being such uh Centralized, commercialized uh, uh, place because it followed some natural events or it followed some natural uh, ways or uh, or directions that were inevitable. Uh, it became this uh, because the drivers of that asset have have won. So um, the internet wasn't supposed to be uh, necessarily a plus, a place of a deeply commercialization it wasn't supposed to be a place where surveillance is the dominant uh, business model and the dominant uh, power uh, balance uh, online uh, it does become this because uh, commercial drivers commercial companies and money maker uh, players have exploited the internet in a direction that was effective and we cannot say that the internet doesn't work effectively today it it does it definitely does but with consequences that have uh, become increasingly more uh, visible and impactful on the lives of everyone who is um, on the internet and I think uh, what we should do uh today in 20 uh 23 is trying to revitalize some of these discussions and trying to see what are the spaces and what are the uh potential alternatives to build uh something different. Um there are days where I'm particularly pessimistic and I still think and probably I think that this is no longer possible so that it is almost totally utopian to imagine alternatives to the status quo we are into but i think actually this is one of the good days so i am a bit uh optimistic and i think uh, what we need to do before we start thinking about how to do that we need really to start thinking about how to make space for for different ideas and then how we build them uh is a different story and it's even more complicated but what we need to do uh from the very beginning from scratch is trying to make space which means uh getting out of the mindset that sometimes uh make our imagination very difficult to even you know to even imagine something different and is a sort of realism uh i would say quoting uh, Mark Fisher that referred this to to capitalism, uh, realism, we think there is a form of realism also, when we think about how the Internet functions today. And that's precisely what we should uh, start to challenge, because once you open space for imagining an alternative, then you make space for it and then you can really start a discussion, which is technical, practical and political, on how to to build alternatives.
0: Mm. And you you've mentioned that uh, we are constantly having these debates and that you know we are basically or almost like uh, spinning spinning in a circle uh, related or uh, when we are discussing the democratic potential of technologies about the openness of space and and so forth but do you feel that or do you think that uh, with every uh, circle around the sun when we are debating these things the circles are getting smaller and more, let's say, inevitable or more uh, without any possible alternative outcome that will or that could, as you said, open spaces and create these alternative uh, realities. Um, I think we recently
1: had a sign that uh, something different is possible uh, in Italy, my, my home country. Uh, because, well, it has become an international case, so I'm, I'm pretty sure the listeners will be uh, aware of it, but Italy has been the first uh, country to uh, try to regulate how artificial intelligence um, operates. And that happened because the Italian Data Protection Authority, opened an investigation into uh, OpenAI and how ChatGBT is functioning, how ChatGBT has been developed and how data uh, about Italians has been gathered in order to uh, build a machine. So that has been really the first attempt by uh, a political authority of any sort to intervene in our artificial intelligence is being developed today um, that's interesting on many levels it's interesting on the level of data justice because it opened a discussion about how data is being treated when it comes to the creation of artificial intelligence and at the same time it has been a direct intervention into into what into how a technology and highly impactful technology is being developed uh, today. Uh, I have nothing against OpenAI. I think they're building something great. I think they're doing uh, excellent work. But uh, we cannot allow it to happen. Something that has happened with the internet a large 10 years ago. So we cannot allow uh, companies to drive this discussion completely we cannot allow them to make their own rules live by them and force everybody else to adapt Um, not because this is eminently wrong but because this um, this position doesn't work and and we have seen it with social media we have seen it with other uh, technologies and other uh, actors in this discussion so I think we have now a decade long experience in how not to uh, drive these discussions, in how not to drive these debates. So the fact that uh, the Italian Data Protection Authority in Italy is not one of the countries really at the core of this. I mean, it's not the US, it's not the UK, uh, it's Italy. But the fact that uh, someone raised an end and said, well, wait a second, you're building something interesting. No one is denying this. This is potentially great, but how are you doing it? And how are you applying this to to people? So I think that was uh, absolutely a good sign. And it is potentially also um, a sign that it is possible to have a say in this discussion. It is possible to uh, decide what we want to do and what we don't want to do. And if I see this also in what has happened last week with the Artificial Intelligence Act uh, on the European level, that is trying at least to uh, give some limitations and some uh, you know, clear uh, rules to what, cannot be done with artificial intelligence if I see these two things together I still think probably and this is also because this is one of the good days where I'm optimistic that something can be done so uh, I think the important thing is not to uh, completely uh, is not thinking that nothing nothing at all can be done something can always be done and if I and I really think that what happened in Italy with, with OpenAI is 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 a sign of the way forward. Is a sign that um, states have a say in these discussions. And like it or not, we have to rely on these systems. We have to rely on regulation. And uh, I think it's 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 healthy that this has happened uh, at this moment when when ChatGPT is there. ChatGPT is being developed, but it's not already uh, dominant in a sense that you cannot live without it. So it's very interesting that the intervention has happened now because it will be applied by others and potentially this can be a new driver of of this debate and a new driver of how uh, artificial intelligence will be developed from now on. So that I think is 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 a potential avenue is a potential direction for a different imagination around around these technologies.
0: Hmm. And when you're talking about uh, let's say state regulation or or regulatory mo- models that are addressing not just ChatGPT but artificial intelligence and let's say globally technologies how do you see the difference between regulatory attempts by let's say states or countries in in within the European Union or even more precisely on the on the west side of the European Union and some same or similar attempts that are now being in place in in let's say more um, the Eastern part of the world, like China and others so uh, I, I i have a I have an anecdote I usually bring up when when we're discussing uh, regulatory models and and let's say self regulation of of the industry is that uh, I was attending a, an international conference in, in Kotor, and we were discussing um, This was back in 2000, I'm going to say 16, 17. And we were discussing this issue of Facebook and self-regulation versus regulation, right? And the the members uh, of the conference that were coming from, let's say, the more eastern part of of the Europe were absolutely uh, shocked to to suggest that the state should or could regulate these systems. Because back then in those countries, Facebook was still... um, was still a, a a platform of expression that wasn't wasn't controlled by the government, while the members from let's say Italy, France, Germany, UK were absolutely you know focused on regulatory models, saying that you know self-regulation doesn't work. Mark Zuckerberg doesn't know what he's doing, and you know the 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 the, the state should really put the put put its foot down. So thoughts on these different um, perceptions of, of regulatory models, and maybe uh, to, to maybe counterpoint the, the current state in which these big tech giants or uh, big tech intermediaries found themselves in, where you can see that, you know, they've lost Quite a lot of goodwill that was that was present with the people, with the regulators, with with politicians, you know, five ten years ago, and are now basically the the bad guy or the baddest <laughs> the baddest of guys in in this debate. Well, um, I'm not a
1: regulation expert, but uh, I think we can tell that self-regulation doesn't work when it's applied to. You. Uh, to to technology and we we see it uh clearly uh if we look back to anything that happened with social media post uh twenty sixteen um well twenty sixteen has been an interesting year for many for many for many reasons in in politics in in international affairs and also in technology and 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 we we have seen there more clearly than than in other instances how leaving companies uh making the rules and, and, and deciding how to how to how to how to walk it's not a good um it's not a good way of addressing this issue. So I believe there is uh the need of having clear rules where uh where companies can can operate. Um as we have rules for many other fields. I mean, basically every other economic field has rules that have been decided by public bodies. So I think that should also be the same for for technology, of course, because otherwise we are simply uh, relying on assumptions that uh, companies are eminently good. They know what innovation is and they know how to deliver uh which uh which i think it's fundamentally wrong and it's it's visible i would say so yes we we need uh we need rules decided by public bodies and at the same time we need clear rules for avoiding problems and we also need to avoid that um i mean i don't like the term but it works in in the context of the sentence we need to also make sure that innovation can somehow be uh be uh be be created so again i think that what the European Parliament has, has the leader so far when it comes to regulating artificial intelligence it, it is good because it starts from, from a good principle. I mean, the AI Act is based on a, risk scenarios approach and consequently also technologies are labeled on the basis of 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 the risks which i think is a good way of putting uh, on black and white what the dangers are when it comes to artificial intelligence and at the same time leaving space for uh, for other good things to to be developed so over generally speaking i think that's a good Um, uh, that's a good uh, approach and and i'm glad to see that uh, europe is going in that direction but of course we need to see how the draft of the regulation will be uh, then uh, discussed and what the final outcome of it will be but i i i think that's that's a good approach and we, we are seeing for instance a clear uh position against facial recognition a clear Position against uh, the most abusive uses of artificial intelligence in public spaces, which I think it's it's brilliant so far. Then we will see what the outcome uh, is. Um, okay. So that would be my general comment on how uh, regulation should be should be uh, put in place. But at the same time, we shouldn't forget that uh, it's really a case by case discussion here. And uh, again, I'm not an expert, but I doubt that. Uh, there are principles and and ways of regulating technology that apply at the same time for for each and every technology we can discuss. So I think when it comes to technology, digital technology that have impacts in society like AI, this risk based uh, approach is definitely uh, a good a good a good idea. But I cannot answer your question when it comes to other uh, contexts because I'm not completely familiar with them.
0: But looking at uh, looking at the role of of an individual user or of a citizen or of a consumer, right? If, if you uh, take a step back and look at, let's say, the the GDPR legal framework and the the power or the importance of an individual user that you know takes care of its rights and data and and um, yeah, other instances in, in the information society. So how would you um, how would you interpret or how would you explain you know the change that that has apparently hopefully yeah uh, the AI act will will survive the the trilog uh, unscanted but, but that that um that the 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 AI act doesn't pay particular attention to the to the individual but turns its regulatory um Flashlight uh, towards towards technology and towards uh, these yeah AI systems that are that are in place. Um, do you see that as a as a learning as a learning moment for the regulators? Did they realize that you know we cannot put too much emphasis on on the end user, but have to think more broadly? Or yeah, what what do you think was or how do you how do you see it? This well, difference. Generally speaking, I think that
1: uh, we had for too long uh, these discussions based on on individual decisions. Like uh, around 2013, when, when the Snowden revelations were published, I remember that one of the leading uh, frames in which the discussion was constructed was kind of pointing fingers again the users and said like, well, um, you have given all this information to Facebook and the others, so you cannot complain, uh, etc. etc. etc., which is partially true, of course. We have been feeding the machine for uh for, for years, but it's an extremely limited uh, way of, of framing the discussions. I mean it's 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 public knowledge that what we willingly and explicitly Tell social media about ourselves is just a tip of the iceberg of what these companies can uh, know about us by simply uh, getting data from data brokers or uh, acquiring information from the offline world and merging it together with the online world. So the the way in which the the, the digital economy works is way more uh, rhizomatic than how it is usually described. So yes. Uh, I post stuff on instagram about myself but uh, the information that meta can have about me comes from so many uh entry points that i have basically no control and i mean it has been uh it has been documented how facebook for instance is capable of uh, profiling non-users of facebook on the basis of what the company can get from 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 its own users so um i think uh what we came to learn about uh, all these dynamics uh, definitely uh, is a sign that uh, discussing this only on the individual level doesn't work. Um, And of course, there are steps that each and every of us uh, can do to mitigate the consequences of this state of things. But um, I think we cannot, and this goes beyond regulation, we cannot look at this only on this way um because i think all these uh arguments are based on an understanding of digital technology that it's i think stuck in time it's it's really about how we used to think about the digital uh, at the beginning of it now it is so diffused it is so powerful it is so interconnected with basically everything we do that uh we need to inevitably look at it in a more systemic way. So uh, again, I don't know how to put this in regulatory frames, but uh, when it comes to uh, discussion and and, and awareness about what is happening, uh, I think it is important to constantly focus on these issues on a collective way. And um, we see this clearly, for instance, with with privacy. And privacy is definitely one of the most uh, concerned issues in these discussions. But to most people, I think privacy uh, is something obscure, is something that um, really is uh, thought as regarding their inner selves, and not as a collective justice uh issue so that's why for instance i really like the data justice concept which is a good way of framing these problems in in terms that are i think less obscure and more connected to the lives of people in in practical terms so we have social justice outside the internet in the way we in which we are treated in a way in which we are um framing the ways in which we are uh, kind of uh, playing a role in society or having a say in society. And that should be the same basis on the internet as well. We should definitely look at these issues as justice issues. So, to go back to my initial example, when when the Data Protection Authority in Italy uh, addressed OpenAI and ChatGBT, I think that was a quintessential data justice discussion. And of course, it was based on on, on privacy was based on how personal data have been used but it's a justice uh, issue at large it is about deciding what others can do with with ourselves it, it is about putting a limit to what companies can do with our identities with our um expressions with what we what we have been putting on the internet so far so it is a justice issue and in such is is absolutely a a collective um, issue and i think um the the evolution of these debates in the last 10 years uh, if i look back again on on the snowden revelations and we are and where we are now it has definitely evolved in a in a positive way so i won't be surprised if all we have just discussed also is implemented in our policies and regulations uh, are are now drafted.
0: Mm. Uh, since you since you mentioned Snowden and and uh, I'd like to move on to to the next topic and that's the the um, uh, also a topic of of many of your of your papers and articles the 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 role or the journalistic um, let's say not sector but but uh, journalists in 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 the in the surveillance capitalism. And their, um, their uh, need to to protect its all their sources, uh, their own uh, uh, personal uh, yeah identities and work and and so on. So, do you see um, th- there are some instances in terms uh, or instances of, of let's say journalists being hacked, being targeted by by spyware and and other and other types of of malware um, that are uh, you know, sort of putting under the question mark, the whole personal responsibility angle. Like you already mentioned, Facebook, Meta, uh, other uh, tech giants are are gathering information about us from many different places and they're then using it themselves or they're selling it to, to the highest bidder, right? And in that regard, this notion of, let's say, personal responsibility of digital literacy, of digital skills, of everything that, Let's say the European Union as well is now pushing to the to the front line of of let's say this uh, this digitalization can be put under question in terms that you know is this enough or are we by shifting the responsibility again to to an individual user to a journalist are we still are we again you know prolonging or enacting this um um total voidance of Responsibility from the from the industry from from actors in this field that are actually doing uh, these uh, yeah spying activities. Well, I think
1: uh, what is crucial here is the notion of, of the black box, and uh, in most uh, instances, digital technologies are black boxes in terms that they are obscure and we know very little about them and about. How they how they work, and we see this with algorithms. We see this with artificial intelligence again. We seen it with a with a surveillance uh, market, for instance. So uh, when when you face something like that, and this is why at the beginning I was mentioning uh, power to be obscure in the digital in the digital area, you clearly see that there is a power issue there. So if something is allowed to uh, operate without being uh, accountable, without being visible. Uh, I think it's an abuse of power in in general terms. And in those regards, uh, journalism is needed in order to shed light on on these systems and to open the black boxes, as is often said. And and whistleblowers and other sources have been crucial for this because when you don't have access. To these systems, when you don't have ways of gaining access, you need to rely on others who have access and decide to share information with the journalist or with the public. Um, So when it comes to investigating technology, I think that uh, whistleblowers have, have been playing a crucial part, especially when it comes to big tech companies. One of my recent articles is... Uh, is about whistleblowers coming from from big tech companies and and the kind of invisibility they help to to uh, to uh, to shed light on um but as you were mentioning um relying on whistleblowers if you are an investigative reporters in this context and in this digital uh, scenario where surveillance is is rampant is is extremely dangerous and because the 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 surveillance practices that are out there for governments, but increasingly also for other actors, are numerous and they are very insidious. And uh, in 2021, the the Pegasus investigation really um, shed light on the ultimate nightmare scenario in these discussions, uh, because spyware and the most advanced instances of spyware technology really... Uh, jeopardize any discussion around information security, any discussion around around encryption. Uh, I don't want to go into the, the technical side of things, but um, they basically make any effort, any technical effort in security uh, obsolete if a spyware is capable of being infected on my, on my device without me making any mistake uh, simply by a remote action. So this is where we are. We are in a situation where, where journalists can be put under surveillance with absolutely no scrutiny, with absolutely no way of being found out. And it is also part, partly connected to how uh, the internet functions today. Um, the internet is full of bugs, is full of vulnerabilities. It's full of loopholes that can be exploited by others and the ways in which these can happen is frequently in the hands uh, of those who are capable of using surveillance against uh, actors like journalists, activists, uh, human rights defenders and the public. Um, What journalists can do in this discussion is only mitigating the risks. Uh, And of course, not every journalist is exposed to the same risks as someone doing national security level investigations. But all people, including journalists, are exposed to some of these risks. The the, the threat modeling is different, but uh, in principle, the risks are are the same. And uh, this is really um, a scenario where uh, the individuals are really left, really left alone. Because the, the surveillance market is even more insidious uh, than other black boxes, is absolutely not regulated in a in a in a proper way. And you can also shed light on one company as it happened with NSO and, and Pegasus, but it's just one piece of a very broader puzzle. Um I think uh, regulation on on surveillance is, is is limited and it should really be uh, systemic and it should really i mean that's my view and it should really state that uh, certain technologies shouldn't be developed in, in in the first place because there is no way of using them without creating harm and uh, and spyware are definitely uh, in this in this in this area and um most people will argue that we need them for conducting uh investigations we need them for law enforcement and i can agree on 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 a certain level that um this is true i mean uh, they can make a difference in certain scenarios in certain investigations but i'm 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 inclined of being uh, in favor of these use only if a clear regulation if a clear set of rules is there, because otherwise we have seen way too much how that is a slippery slope and you start by allowing the use of these things for certain situations and then it becomes normalized uh, just because the technology is there. So if you want to go in that direction we, with which I can somehow agree, we need a broad, solid, uh, clear set of rules of what cannot uh, uh, be done. Uh, but. Again, here it's where I'm particularly uh, pessimistic because um, even if you have rules, then it's very difficult to to control the market, and 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 the producers of surveillance technologies have been very effective in in in. In avoiding regulations and in finding ways of making business anyway so uh we are really in an open sea where journalists and others are left are left alone and it, it's an open it's an open battles. progress has been done but we are still uh far away from uh from a situation where we can feel we can feel safe and it's, it, this cannot be solved with technology only i mean we cannot continue to say that journalists need to protect themselves with encryption will stop that that's not that's not enough uh, at the moment
0: mm. and and speaking of of journalists and encryption and uh, privacy in, in in surveillance capitalism there's also one issue uh, and it pertains to to italy as well so uh, we might find some new connections it's the it's the geopolitical uh, west east debate between let's say uh, the the uh, the, 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 the Chinese tech making its way into Europe and into into the US. There's been quite a few debates, uh, arguments, even legal propositions on both sides of of the Atlantic Ocean regarding the ban of Huawei, of ZTE, of Hikvision, of of other um, Chinese giants. And at the same time, it it was. Uh, it was underlined by the realization that you know you you literally cannot survive without the the Chinese tech being present on on different levels in in the West and in the U.S. So on one side you have the the the, the cold hard uh, silicon of of uh, of Chinese uh, technology being installed in the West, and on the other hand you have the the legal proposals, the regulation that you know tries to ban it or tries to uh, stave off its its influence in 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 our parts of the world so how do you see that um, i'm gonna say issue problem how do you see this uh, this field developing in 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 the in the future and do you think banning or limiting uh, almost creating like this alternate uh, splinternet uh, is is an effective solution to to the problem Mm, it's an
1: interesting uh question well i think overall when when you can refer to to a technology uh by saying it's chinese or it's russian then that that's always an easy argument for pretending that the problem it's only in china or 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 in countries where democracy is not um protected or not or not existing and that's a very limited a limited discussion we've seen it uh with with tiktok as well i mean um with uh, the us authorities uh being very concerned with tiktok because tiktok is is chinese and they don't have the same level of preoccupation when it comes to other um, when when other when other companies, which are either US based or Western, uh, that do pretty much the same business model and in the, and the, and the same action, so um, that's I think um, one starting point of the of the discussion. And then, uh, of course, um, buying surveillance. C- uh, technology from 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 a surveillance state like china is 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 concerning in 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 double ways uh for the impacts that the technology can have uh outside of china and from the um kind of uh economical political implications of that uh technology that is implemented in 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 the systems uh, themselves um again um i'm not entirely sure that Banning uh, completely um, these uh, technologies on the basis of where they are developed is 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 the right way, uh, because you can buy surveillance cameras from China, but you can buy them from various other uh, countries, you can buy them in, in Western countries, you can buy them in, in Israel, you can buy them from all over the world. You can buy them from Italy, of course. Uh, Italy is an excellent producer of surveillance technologies, as we as we know. So I don't think we should frame the discussion only around uh, geopolitical terms, because that limits also the understanding of the implication of the world, of the world situation. Um, I think we should really focus on on the technologies themselves and and the and the specifications that they carry and the uses that can be done i think that is that is definitely the way the way forward and then i agree that the geopolitical traits of certain producers are more concerning than others uh, but uh, when it comes to to the technology itself i don't see that huge difference probably uh in way in which then, then they are then they are applied and in my in my home city of Como uh, in Italy there has been a the implementation of official recognition system that was uh pushed by by Huawei itself as a uh because they were producing the cameras and they were approaching the municipality in trying to get their attention and for the implications that uh, facial recognition has on people, I think that if the camera is Chinese or if the camera is Italian, it, it doesn't really make a difference in, in in the end. Although the geopolitical implications and the um, political economical elements of a Chinese surveillance cameras are clear, I think when it comes to the adoption and the use and the harms you can create, there is not such a huge difference if the camera
0: is Chinese or whether a camera is,
1: is Italian in the end.
0: Mm. Yes, I, I I would agree. Although, uh, and this is uh, sort of the the final topic for for today, the 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 issue of representing or getting the political response um, for particular um, let's say instances or issues within the within surveillance capitalism might be in some cases, at least in my opinion, easier if there's a, a almost like a nationalistic. Uh, um, uh, nationalistic uh, approach added mm. to to the issue, right? So so nobody worries about uh, the surveillance capitalism. Okay. Everybody worries about surveillance cap, or politicians are usually worrying about surveillance capitalism coming from, let's say, China or or other. Uh, tricky country uh to say to say the least so so how would you or how do you as, as a journalist when when addressing these issues in in your articles in your investigative pieces how do you get about tagging the relevant uh, the relevant uh, parties in 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 a, in a discussion or when addressing a certain problem is there is there a like a blueprint or is there something that sort of um helps you um helps you with overcoming the the current hype of the issue and then really take a deep dive uh into into a problem without being too I'm going to say sensationalistic but also without being too uh cheap or too uh, superficial
1: well i think what is uh, crucial is to always frame these discussions uh as things that relate to, to the real world, uh, because uh, too frequently when we discuss digital technologies or artificial intelligence and the impacts they can have, uh, the discussion is, is conducted as if all these things operate outside of the world. So artificial intelligence is, is 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 artificial. The internet is is digital. It doesn't have an impact on 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 the reality. It doesn't have an impact on on society. It's not um, walking among people, which is incredibly misleading and it's incredibly dangerous because for years it has uh, obscured any potential critical discussion. So uh, the strategy, I think, for journalists is to always connect uh struggles around uh digital issues with struggles uh, with uh with other uh, social or political um cases that are that are happening that's why again data justice is such a powerful uh framework is such a powerful way of addressing privacy and surveillance and 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 Algorithmic uh, discrimination, for instance. So I think uh, for way too long, technology journalism, if you want to call it this way, uh, has been interpreted as, as a technical, as also a consumer electronics oriented uh, field of reporting, while it was political at the core. So, I think that's the golden rule that we should live by, and that's that's the approach the journalists need to have, even when they address the most abstract and the most um you know distant issues that we can think of so even quantum computing is a political issue to me uh algorithmic profiling is a political issue um surveillance of course is a political issue uh social media regulation is a political issue. And, Etc. And we should also uh, constantly look at the um, the most uh, direct ways in which humans are involved uh, in this in these topics. That's why, among all the great reporting that I've read about OpenAI, the Billy Perigo story on the Kenyan workers uh, employed as moderators, uh, for helping the machine to learn things and now they have been exploited and the horrible working conditions they have been forced uh, into. I think that was one of the most interesting and revealing pieces of reporting I've read about about ChatGPT, because all these issues otherwise are left unreported, they are left unnoticed and they are easily forgotten. So uh, I think Considering technologies as political, uh considering the world, the real physical world as the place where technology happens is is the is the is a starting point. Because if you move from there, you can have a real uh, social political discussion around, around these things. And secondly, look at how humans are involved. Because when we talk about facial recognition, yes, we are discussing computer vision, but we are discussing discrimination that uh, is applied to certain humans and if, if we discuss artificial intelligence and how it works we also need to take into account that humans involved, and moderators are of course the uh, most exposed uh, groups uh, out there and you can continue uh, this way uh, relating it to every technology we are discussing uh, cryptocurrencies bitcoin that's also an environmental issue for instance so we should always look and frame these topics in this way in order to make them more connected to the lives of people and more connected to social justice political and profoundly also human stories that are that are involved
0: Hmm. perfect time to to end this episode of of citizen d thank you philip for for dropping by and uh, best of luck with uh, your future endeavors Thanks for the invitation. It has been a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you.